Welcome back to Let's Run Fit with Be Lit, the podcast where we explore all things related to fitness, health, and injury prevention. I'm your host, Be Lit, and today we have an episode that hits close to home for me. It's all about knee injury and pain prevention in runners and athletes. As someone who struggled with a knee injury myself, I understand the frustration and the need for solutions. That's why I'm thrilled to have Janice, a renowned movement specialist, joining us today. Janice has helped countless individuals overcome knee injuries and stay on top of their game. So lace up your shoes, grab your notepads, and get ready to dive into the world of knee injury prevention. Thank you so much, Janice, for being here. I'm so excited that we get to talk about something that's super personal to me, and that is knee pain and injury prevention, because anyone who knows me knows that I am constantly hurting my knees. So could you just kind of briefly introduce yourself and kind of like your expertise and kind of what we're talking about today? Yeah, I'm super excited to be here because I love knee pain as well. So I'm a movement specialist by trade, which is really a fancy term for I I figure out how weight and load is being transferred through the body and where some of the sticky points are. And I help people feel better in their body. So get all of the muscle compensations kind of toned down, get the other items that are not working strengthened up and away people go. So I actually got into this work because I had knee pain and that was quite a long time ago, but that's why I'm super passionate about knee pain myself. It really, I feel like it's a very common thing for runners, not because running's bad for our knees, but because none of us quite do what we need to do to, you know, prevent knee injuries from coming. Is that correct? Like I didn't just make that up. You didn't just make that up. No. So I started running um, probably 20 years ago and I ended up with runner's knee and it wasn't actually in my knee. So you're absolutely correct. There's been some subsequent research that has helped direct where it comes from, but I wasn't actually doing anything wrong with my knee. You have to bend and straighten your knee when you're running. So there was no way to avoid that what was wrong was other bits of my body. So no, you absolutely did not make that up. I know I had runner's knee myself. I also tore a meniscus at one point. So I kind of had both extremes there. And I know with the runner's knee, it was such a simple fix. I ended up at physical therapy, but now if it starts to come back, I know what to do at home, which is fantastic because I can kind of do that and be like, okay, is this actually runner's knee? And I can kind of ease through, which is kind of what I want to talk about today with people is to kind of help you know if you're having knee pain so they don't panic. Because the first time my knee started hurting, I panicked. I thought I was gonna have to have surgery and it ended up just being runner's knee. So kind of talk about these common knee injuries, especially runner's knee, because that's probably the most common. So what are some of the common knee injuries that runners get and just athletes in general? I think runner's knee is absolutely one of the most common ones, especially in runners. I mean, there's a reason it's called runner's knee. There's a lot of different ligament strains, sprains, and things that kind of don't function properly with the ligaments. Those are typically outside of the work that I'm doing. By the time somebody's tearing a ligament, that would have to most commonly be surgically repaired. So what we really want to do is, is keep that knee health before we get to the point where we're actually tearing a ligament or straining or spraining any of the muscles around the knee. So 
knee pain does come in a lot of different forms. And quite, quite often when I have clients coming in to see me, they're not actually even able to describe where the pain is. So I will ask them to be specific. And quite often it's like, well, it's just around the knee. It's kind of underneath the whole kneecap. It's, and there isn't a, a lot of awareness of whether it's at the side of the knee, the top of the knee, the, whether it is actually underneath the kneecap. Just that whole area tends to feel a little bit janky. So my job actually is not ever diagnostics. I find it generally helpful if somebody has diagnostics, because then we know definitely if we're looking at a strain, a sprain, something that's torn, if it's a ligament, if it's other soft tissue. And sometimes, I mean, my philosophy is we want to avoid that injury in the first place. So by the time we're trying to do corrective work on an injury, a strain, a sprain, a condition, we're actually on the wrong, we're the wrong end of the equation. So we really need to get in there and prevent that injury as opposed to trying to, trying to really work out something that's chronic. Now we of course can always do stuff on chronic conditions, but hopefully we can catch things before they actually have to be named or diagnosed. So you're kind of talking about the differences between acute and chronic. So could, for those who don't understand, could you kind of explain that really quick for someone? Yeah. So an acute injury is going to be something I'm going to, I'm going to use something that's not a knee injury. So an acute injury is going to be like, if you're in the kitchen and you have a knife and you cut your finger and it starts bleeding, that's going to be something that's acute. You're going to have instant pain. You might have bruising. You obviously, in the example I just gave, you would have bleeding that's acute. Your body's going to have a reaction to that. Chronic pain is going to be something more like arthritis is a great example. So where you're going to have pain that is pretty constant, maybe it changes slightly based on what you're eating or how much you slept or the weather, but it's going to be something where it's coming on and off regularly. And so your body is actually having a pain response. It's often related to inflammation, blood flow, could be from a tear or a strain or a sprain. But you're really, if you're talking about chronic pain, it's usually something that's happened for a couple of months, as opposed to something that just happened because you twisted your ankle or cut your finger. Perfect. I love how you use like the cutting a finger as a kind of example, because it's, that's really what it is. Because it's normally coming from your poor movement mechanics and muscle imbalances and just general overuse is where a lot of knee pain comes from. And at least I know that's true in my athletes. Normally I can do a small correction on form and that can really help with some of their knee pain. And then I get them working with a movement specialist like yourself or a physical um, therapist or a personal trainer, someone who can really help with those muscle imbalances. How does that kind of really like, why does those muscle imbalances really happen? Like, how does that affect the knee? I'm trying to figure out how to word this. Like, I know what I'm trying to ask, <laughs> you know, where like how the muscles affect it because the muscle was a muscle, but the knee is a joint. So how are those things connected together? Essentially load has to move through the body. So when we have a heel strike in running, the average is about 300 pounds of load that's hitting the heel. So it's obviously more than our body weight and that load has to be distributed up through the body. So the first point of impact is typically the heel slash foot. 
Then it's moving up through the ankle joint. So that's going to be where the foot attaches into the bottom of part of the leg, the tibia. Then the top of the tibia is what we would consider the bottom of the knee is attached to what's called your femur, which is the bone at the very top of your leg. And so that the joint that's in there is the knee. And then we've got another load transfer that's happening at the top of the femur into the pelvis. And so at any one of those points, if we have a muscular weakness, we're not going to transfer that load very well. So we could sprain an ankle, we could end up with a knee injury, we could end up with a piriformis syndrome up at the hip. So often what will happen is that we get either muscle atrophy or muscle overwork, and then the load isn't transferring through the joint. So the joint space might shrink, we might tear something. So in the knee in particular, um, when the knee is bent, we can rotate the bottom part of the leg. When the knee is straight, we can only rotate it at the hip. So running is a load activity that also includes a bent knee. So there's a lot of torsion that is possible when we have a bent knee. And so if that load is not distributed properly muscularly, there's a lot of potential for something to kind of go wrong at that joint, in part because we have such a heavy force when we're heel striking. So it, it's something that might not appear in somebody who's walking, or it might appear, but it could take 10 years. And in a runner, it could take a year or three months because that load that's actually happening when we strike the heel is so much more intense. That's crazy. I never knew that you could like really rotate your leg different when it was bent. Like I literally just did it right here while you were talking. I was like, <laughs> you really can't move it. You can only go to the hip. And then I bend my knee. I was like, that is amazing. I guarantee so many of my listeners right now just did that too. I hope I was not the only one because I just learned something new. I never picked up on that. Like that's something you've done since you were born. And until Absolutely. this moment, so I that's, never noticed. That's actually why we have, that's why we have all the ligaments in the knee because it allows us to rotate and to, for one side to move slightly differently than the other. And it offers that range of movement. So it's a very different joint than the ankle or the hip because those are basically bone on bone. And the knee has so much more potential to move around in, it's not a 360 degree joint by any means, but we can, you know, if you move your foot back and forth, there's actually quite a bit of torsion that's available there. And that's not really true to the same extent at the at the hip. And it's it's largely because we, can do both bending it and moving it from side to side. So there's a huge range of motion that's not available at the other joints. And then that's also what creates part of the, the, the injury potential because a little bit of movement at a lot of joints, we don't tend to get injured, but it's when one joint is taking most of the load. So a little bit of biomechanical um, inefficiency can create an injury. So I always tell all of my all of my endurance athletes, the work that we're doing, it might just feel like a slight adjustment. But if you're going to go out for a hundred mile ride, that's something you're gonna do over and over and over again. If you're gonna go out and run a marathon, that's something you're gonna do over and over and over and over again. So it particularly tends to be in, in our long distance runners and cyclists that we see a lot of those 
very, very slight biomechanical adjustments making the hugest difference because it's just that repetition of just slightly off mechanics over and over and over and over. And it is because I know my one hour runs that I do, I'm normally getting anywhere from 10,000 to 12,000 steps, depending on what cadence I'm working at that day. Yeah. Like that's a lot of pounding on those joints that you've got to make sure you're taking care of them. That's right. So that means that each leg is, is taking, is doing that motion 5,000 times. So obviously that's something that is really healthy for our body it's great for our mental health and it's great for the physical body as well. But that's where kind of that injury potential comes in because we're repeating it over and over and over again with force and load that walking or something that's lower impact wouldn't have. Like that. That's just one of those things that you never think about until you're in the moment and you're just like, okay, so this is why my knees started to ache because it's always a common trope. Running's terrible for your knees. Running's so bad for your knees, but it's not. Like I know I've looked at research that actually shows that you are at a smaller percentage of chance of getting those, you know, general injuries when you get older, when you are a runner, because you have strengthened the muscles and the ligaments compared to someone who lives more of a sedentary life. And I don't know why I say this all the time. Why are we in a world where we think sedentary is normal, but being a runner <laughs> or eating a salad for lunch, like, oh no, that's bad. Why, why would you do that? You're weird. Like we're in this like backwards world where we don't look at things that are healthy as a good thing because someone has found a way to make every little tiny thing bad for you now. It's, it's very true. That happens in the nutrition world as well, where we, we, villainize carrots because they have sugar in them and then think nothing about the potato chips or Twinkies. And so I think that often in the health world, there's such perfectionism about what is quote unquote bad and we can find flaw and fault in almost anything. And then it creates a lot of consumer confusion. Is running bad for your knees? Are carrots unhealthy to eat? And most of the time, the vast majority of us are not doing it to such an extent that we actually need to worry about whether we're going to blow our knees running. But we do need to worry about adding in a component of sustainability. So it's not probably going to be a great plan long term to just go out for runs and do no stretching and do no rolling and do no sustainability work. So we just need to stay on top of and ahead of injuries and be aware that it actually could happen. But in terms of should we not run because we're afraid that it could blow out our knees, unless we have a reason to think so or a clinical opinion that says we shouldn't be doing that. I'm of the opinion that if you enjoy running, you're on the right side of the equation. Go for your run. I love it. If I was a patient or a client of yours and I came to you and I was like, hey, I want to do something to help, you know, prevent injury. I had runner's knee in the past off and on. And, you know, I really want to take care of my knees. Kind of what would be like the overall approach and kind of the first steps you would take with any athlete who's really wanting to try to do the what's called prehab in a lot of places where, you know, you're doing the things to prevent the injury instead of healing an injury that has occurred, like you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So the top thing that I would actually do is 
look at what's happening at your hips, largely at the glutes. So we have 22 muscles that cross the hip. It's a very busy intersection of muscles. And there's a lot happening up there that needs to be paid attention to. So I'm going to focus on the glute, but I wanted to mention that there are a lot of other muscles happening up at the hips, hip flexors, your adductors or your inner thigh slash groin area. Um, obviously, most of us are familiar with the IT band. So those have to work in balance with the glutes. The vast majority of people in modern culture have weak glutes. So even runners quite often have weak glutes. And part of the reason for that is because running creates a lot of compression at the hip, which tends to force the femur, which is the leg bone, into the pelvis. So the joint space literally tightens. And then we have less range of motion. So when we step and when we run, the femur, the leg bone, should end up behind the body. There should be a natural without clenching the glute, there should be a natural extension of the leg that creates the glute firing. And then there is a circle, which basically comes all the way down to the heel and the Achilles tendon that helps spring forward, activate the glute and create that next step. And right there is where a lot of people just don't have the strength and the spring. And part of that is because if you have a desk job, you're, you're locked into a forward facing sedentary position for the entire day where the hip flexors are compressed. Usually there's nothing happening at the inner thigh and then the glute has, it's not functioning or firing at all. So I would say that even if you were not an athlete of the 17 years I've done client work, I've had maybe one or 2% of people that have come to see me that have strong functional glutes. And there's a whole bunch of different things that the glutes and the rear end are supposed to be doing. So that includes rotating the leg with your lateral rotators. There's a group of kind of six muscles that are deep inside. You should be able to swing the leg out behind you to 45. That's gonna activate something called your gluteus medius. And then your glute max, which is when we think about the glute, that's your big bum. That's the one I was just describing that should fire when you take the leg behind you. So those all need to be firing. There was research done a number of years ago at the University of Calgary that demonstrated conclusively that runner's knee was about what was happening up at the hip, specifically the glute. So that research actually tended to change the whole entire landscape and the treatment plan of runner's knee uh, because at the end of it that's a really easy preventative tool is to get into the glute area you're going to want to uh, make sure that there's flexibility happening in the hip joint quite often that flexibility is going to be on the opposite side of the leg, which is going to be the hip flexor. So you're going to want to do those lunges. You're going to want to do foam rolling of the quads. You're going to want to probably do foam rolling of the, of the IT band to make sure that your leg can move. And then you would definitely want to add some strengthening of the, of the glute itself. So that's going to include things like your clamshells, squats, lunges, and you have to make sure that you can feel that work at the glute. So strong 
toned, healthy, stretchy glutes are super key to that injury prevention up, up the, in, in the hip. You would never think that it's actually the glute that's causing it. But I know a lot of my rehabilitation stuff that I did when I was in rehab for my runner's knee, it was things that was like you mentioned, the clamshells where you're really working, you know, the, all that area. I know I had a lot of quad work in there. They had me doing wall sits. I was like, oh, these are terrible. And then once I thought the wall (laughs) sit was the worst, then they're like, here, lay on your side and put this band around your legs and just gently like lift one leg. Oh, I wanted the wall sit back so fast because like you said, my (laughs) glutes are so weak. (laughs) And when it gets that glute medius going, because from what I understand, that muscle was so tiny. It's so tiny. It's so tiny. And then they had this one move. I want to say, I think I had to like circle my leg. It was almost like Pilates Mm -hmm. with a band. And I was like, oh my gracious, I wish I didn't have a butt right now. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And it's very, it's a very therapeutic kind of burn. So in my own body and in all of my clients, I, I combine a technique called Yamana body rolling, which is like foam rolling on steroids because it, it gets right to the bone level. It gets as deep as you can go. And, and in the glute area, it'll dig right into those glutes that you were just describing. And then I do layer them on top of Pilates. So getting all of those tiny little muscles muscles strengthened at the hip and then there is also attentiveness to the balance of the different parts of the leg so I alluded to this quite a while ago but especially up at the right up at the hip so we've got on the inside of the leg you have your adductor group so you've got your inner thighs sometimes called the groin at the front of the leg you have your quad the side is your IT band the back is going to be your hamstrings and at the very top, it's the glute. So that's a 360 degree surface level. And at the end of it, a lot of us really focus kind of on let's roll the IT bands, let's continue rolling the IT bands, keep rolling the IT bands. <laughs> but the other three quarters of the leg, we tend to ignore. And if your IT bands are tight, or if your quads and therefore knee are overly tight, there's a I would give it probably a 95% chance that that the overall leg is not in balance. So one of the, the two areas that most of the time are problematic, weak glutes slash tight hamstrings Me. and weak, <laughs> right? And then weak adductors, weak adductors. So I would say every six to 12 months, it's a highly recommended thing to do some basic muscle testing to see, you know, are your inner thighs working? Do you have hamstrings that are functional? So we're not looking for it, like they don't need to be Cirque du Soleil flexible, but if they're super tight, just sitting on the floor and kind of bending forward, it's probably not functionally beneficial. When you're doing some exercises like what you just described in the glutes, can you do them or are they just this big burning hot mess? So, you know, when we start to lose the function of the adductors or the glutes, those are huge muscle groups that's now knocking out 
somewhere between a quarter and half of your muscle strength. And so what that means is that your IT bands and your quads have to do the work of four different muscle groups, or sometimes people lose three of the muscle groups. So I would just kind of have, you can work with a physio, you can work with me, you can work with some kind of other movement specialist and just get a little bit of a routine so you can check in on how those muscle groups are doing. And it's not something you need to do, like I said, it's it's not something you need to do weekly or monthly. Just a couple times a year, you could roll through them and just check things out because things do change as we run, as we work, as we have stress, as we age, as we gain or lose weight, etc. So just checking in and making sure that everything is in balance because that's where we get into those knee injuries is when things start to get really imbalanced. If someone has those really tight hamstrings or IT bands, what would be a kind of a good solution or a stretch, something to kind of help them kind of get started in the process of loosening that? Because I know that is something my I myself, you I can't find clear information. I've touched my toes like four times in my entire life. <laughs> yes. It's so bad. So, so I don't, I don't actually think that there's much benefit for most people in t- touching your toes, but sure, I can't. <laughs> how do you know if they're tight? Um, well, and part of touching toes is actually your body ratio. So like, for example, I have a very short torso and long legs, like I'm not tall, but that's just my basic structure. So for me to touch my toes, it's not actually anything related to my hamstrings um, because I don't feel a stretch in the back. So usually what I'll have people do is a movement like that where they bend over and the goal is not to kind of reach anywhere. It's where do you feel it? So if I'm bending over into something that would look like a toe touching position, I usually put a ball in between the top of my inner thighs. So you're standing just like a regular position put a ball in between your inner thighs, walk your legs together, and then bend over like you're gonna touch your toes. But don't reach for anything, just kind of let your head hang, look down at your knees, look down at your legs, and then assess where you feel it. So I have people that feel it in their calves, which means that their calves are tight. I have people that feel it in their hamstrings, which means that their hamstrings are tight. Ideally, you would actually feel it in in your back. If it's in your low back, it means your low back is slightly tight. And then if, if you're actually fully in balance, you're going to feel it as, um, as attraction. So you're going to feel it like you're, you're hanging upside down on one of those inversion machines. So that's a really good way to check in because then it's, it takes your body ratio out of it. And if your calves are tight because your hamstrings attach into your calves, there's a very strong possibility that your hamstrings are tight. How big of a ball would this need to be? Like, lacrosse ball, softball? Oh, that's a good question. So (laughs) something that's like about 10 inches. So it's going to be like your kind of a playground ball. Like the little ones that we used to chuck at each other's face in elementary school. (laughs) That's the one. Yes. You can probably smell them right now. (laughs) I remember (laughs) the smell of those things. Yes, they they definitely have, they definitely have something. (laughs) So if, if you're finding that your calves or your hamstrings are too tight, there's two techniques that I love for that. One is yin yoga. So that's a technique where you lay on the floor, typically, 
and you hold a position for five minutes. So that's gonna open up the fascia and that's what I like about it. It's that it gets that connective tissue open. So it's a little bit less muscular intended and more connective tissue. And the other one I already alluded to and it's it's a technique called Yamana body rolling. So the, the cousin of Yamana body rolling because a lot of people haven't heard of it, it's gonna be something like a foam roller. But Yamana body rolling is done with balls. So it's gonna actually really get into the tissue and get into the bone level in a way the roller cannot do. But you're gonna want something in that territory where you're working on the connective tissue, you're working on the bone, you're working on the joints. And in my own life, I do a 45 minute sequence every single morning five days a week. So I'm, I'm doing a 45 minute sequence of this kind of work before I even start my day, my work day, before I work out any of it. And that to me is just, it fits into the body sustainability bucket where I don't want injury. I don't want pain. I want to keep doing the activities I want to do. I want energy. I want all of my tissues to feel healthy. I don't want aches and creaks and cracks and pops. And I also don't really want to have to go off to chiropractors and massage therapists and acupuncturists to, to be able to fix those things. So I do that myself, it just as a preventative routine every weekday. That is amazing. I need to start doing something like that. A hundred percent. I know I do. It's one of those things we'll add it to the list of things I know I need. And then I actually have to start doing it. And as soon as I start, I love myself for it. <laughs> if someone yeah, wanted and to work I do with before... you. I'm sorry. If someone was wanting to work with a movement specialist, what would be the best way to find them? Whether it's yourself or just someone close to their area. Well, I do online sessions, so I would invite you to reach out to me and you can find me at mybodycouture.com. That's three different words put together. It's my, M-Y, body, B-O-D-Y, couture, C-O-U-T-U-R-E. So you can find me at the .com there or on Instagram or Facebook. I have social media sites where I do post a bit of information, but you can reach out to me. So if you have questions about your knee, about anything that is really specific to you or you're curious about working with me you can just reach out i respond to every message there are other movement specialists out there and many of us do work online now so i also encourage you to google somebody in your local area and and i i think it's just such a life-changing thing to do because every single client that comes in to see me says you know, I wish I'd learned this in school. I had no idea. And it just gives that kind of basic education about how your body can feel and a few ways that you can sustain yourself without getting injured. And it really does take a lot of your athletic training to the next level. I mean, when I started this work in my own body, I was, I got into it because I was a runner and I could work out half as hard and get the same results, or I could work out the same amount and get double the results. So it's, it's really life-changing and I definitely just encourage you to Google it or to reach out to me. I definitely encourage anyone as well, because I've been through physical therapy for knees and I've learned more in this conversation with Ms. Janice here than I have 
in all of those years, because I've been going since I was in middle school, off and on. And now I finally actually understand the cause a lot more instead of them just giving me a list. Now I know why I'm doing these things. I feel like, you know, the why behind things always makes things something so much more successful than if you just do what someone tells you to do. I agree. I agree. And that's why I teach and do what I do, because I really believe that we need to have agency over our own body. And someone like myself has gone through a whole bunch of different certifications. So rather than each individual having to go and spend thousands of dollars and thousands of hours doing this, I can distill that down into really actionable tips, really practical pieces of anatomy. And it's it's stuff that tends to stick with people because it it's really giving, it's giving the education on how you can do that and why you can do that and why you should do that. And then we tend to, I mean, you alluded to this earlier, but then we tend to actually get up and do that body sustainability piece. And we, we actually do it because it's not just an assignment that's coming out of left field. You understand why you're doing it, what changes will happen and what you're preventing and how your body can feel. And that makes a huge difference. And more than that, I think it stops people from being who I was up until today's conversation where (laughs) I do all the stuff until I feel better and then I stop and then it comes back and it's a cycle and I just, I do it until I feel better and I need to be doing it all the time and then I will never be in pain. I'll never have to sit there and have to KT tape my knee before and worry about the ice wrap after and just being terrified of it coming back because I can be preventative instead of reactive which is so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I will share for myself that I got into this work because I was winning and I had knee pain and that was 20 something years ago. And I, the first set of clients that I ever had were all runners. They all wanted to run the New York city marathon. Every single one of them did it without injury. And to this day, none of them have been injured and that was 17 years ago. So it's, it's like magic when you kind of nail down the five exercises that your body needs to do every day to prevent injury. It's kind of like brushing your teeth. You just, you just do them because you're like, you know what, this is way easier than all the time and all the money and all the different practitioners. And it allows you to just get on with what you love, which is running. Exactly. And using brushing teeth as an example why would you only brush your teeth once you already have a cavity when you can brush your teeth and prevent the cavity? You know? That's exactly <laughs> like we yeah, do that automatically. Exactly. We were taught to brush our teeth every day because it prevents cavities. But for some reason, I think our teeth are about the only thing that we're very preventative in. And now I'm hoping mm-hmm. everybody is going to be more preventative in their knee pains. I know I'm about to go do all of my you know, rehab things. I'm going to actually do the thing where I put the ball between my legs to find what's the actual tight muscle, which for me, I'm worried it's just going to be all of it. (laughs) Okay. And that's okay if it is. And I will share, actually, if you're just starting the first one to two years, you're actually opening up muscle. After that, you've done the hardest part. So after that, you are basically likely not going to gain any more flexibility so then you're just trying to maintain it I love it well I hope everybody goes test and see where your muscle weaknesses are and your tightness and then go find a movement specialist go find Janice get some help and improve your stuff and your running every single day thank you so much for being here today Janice 
I, I learned so much. Like I'm just, I was taking notes like crazy. So I hope everybody else was, and we appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, runners, for spending time with me and listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe button and leave me a review. I always love to hear from my listeners. And if you want more Let's Run Fit in your life, find me on Instagram at Let's Run Fit with Be Lit. Until next time, runners. The information in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for medical or professional advice. Please always consult a medical professional if you're seeking medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The Let's Run Fit podcast is not liable for risk or issues associated with using or acting upon the information in this podcast.